And if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up and turn to Romans chapter 6. If you ever come and you forget to have, forget to bring your own Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, let one of our ushers know. We'll get you one. Uh, you can use it while you're here, and if you want, you can take it home with you as well. We want you to have a copy of the Word of God. I usually put it on the screen as well, just because then it's easier for us to all be sure that we're in the same place. And if you use a different translation, it might be easier to follow that way. But I always think it's helpful to have my Bible open so I can be looking around when necessary, maybe taking some notes in it. Speaking of taking notes inside your bulletin, there is a, a, a little folder uh, that you can open up. There's a place in there to take some notes. It's also your life group guide for the week. So as you gather uh, with your life group, I invite you to use that uh, as a guide. We have been uh, working our way through the book of Romans. And so uh, actually chapters 6 and 7, which we started last week, really in many ways there's one major theme that's running through chapters 6 and 7. And the theme is basically because we who trust in Jesus have been united with Christ by faith, we ought to now live as those who are united with Christ by faith. That there's a connection between what's been done for us in Christ and the way that we ought to now live. And so last week, the, the big idea was simply that we who have been united with Christ by faith live in a different way. Right? That's what we looked at last week at the beginning of Romans 6. The big idea this week is very similar. It's this. By grace, we are set free from our slavery to sin and made slaves of God who are being sanctified on our way to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're going to look at this week. And now, um, because it really is the same theme kind of running through, kind of taking it from a different angle, all through chapters 6 and 7, I, I want to uh, try and get more specific than I've been getting when it comes to application. Right, so, so God's Word, first, before we apply God's Word to us, we need to understand it. We're going to spend some time doing that, trying to understand what God's message was through the Apostle Paul to the Romans in Romans six fifteen through 23. We're going to try and understand that. But one thing that happens, uh, we might, you might remember if you've been here throughout the series, that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome a church that he hasn't spent any time with ever. Most of the time when he's writing a letter to a church, he's writing a letter to a church with whom he's spent a lot of time. So he knows the people there. He's heard word of what particular sins that that church is struggling against, what, what situations they're, they're in the middle of. And so Paul, in many of his letters, is very specific writing to them about specific sins and writing to them about specific situations. But in the book of Romans, since he hasn't been there, he's very broad and general, which, which makes it uh, an incredible book for us to read because Paul also hasn't been in our church, right? And so, so as he's writing, we're, we're hearing the truth that God intended to communicate through Paul in such a way that we have... It's up to us to work on how are we going to apply this truth to our life. And so uh, he's very general about sin. He talks a lot about sin in chapters 6 and 7, but he never gets very specific about what kind of sin he's addressing. 
He just talks about sin. But over these next couple of weeks, because we won't have to take as much time to just work through the passage itself, because it is relatively straightforward and the theme carries on from week to week, we're going to spend more time in application, and I'm going to try to get a bit more specific in how we apply a passage like this. We're going to spend a lot of time today in application, but before we get there, I want to make sure we understand what God is communicating uh, in this portion of His Word. So, if you have your Bible, we're in Romans 6, 15 through 23, and I invite you to do what we normally do on Sunday mornings. When we read the Word of God, we stand together, and so if you're able to do that, please stand as we read God's Word from Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15 and moving through verse the end of the chapter, which is verse 23. God's Word says this, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, then you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, what a gift it is to us that you are not a God who hides yourself in mystery, but a God who reveals yourself through the written word. So we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit who dwells in all of us who believe, who is able to make our minds and our hearts conformed, uh, is able to, to illuminate your word and then conform us so that we might believe it and obey it. And I pray that you would do that as we look through this passage of Scripture this morning. For your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15. And you may have noticed if you were here last week that the beginning of this passage sounded very similar to the beginning of the beginning of chapter 6. Last week, the chapter started out like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul's answer was very clear. By no means. And then he asked basically the same question again now in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? 
Remember what we talked about last week? He was just saying, well, he's just shared all these glorious truths that God doesn't save us based on how well we're doing. God saves us by his grace based on what Christ has done. And so if it's all about what Jesus has done and it's all about God's grace, then the question that some people might be asking is, well, if I'm not saved by my works, I'm saved by God's grace, what's the point of not sinning? Because sinning sometimes is fun, and it's kind of hard not to sometimes. So why not just go at it, right? Why not just keep on sinning so that God's grace just keeps on coming? We're not under law anymore. We're under grace. So why not just keep sinning and his answer hasn't changed? Last week his answer was by no means. And this week his answer is by no means. Right? You see that in the rest of verse 15. By no means. And so that's what I'm saying. The theme really in all these passages is the same, but he's just taking a bit of a different approach and a different angle. And so verse 16 then just like last week, he's going to really take the rest of the passage to explain why and how we can no longer live with sin as our master. Verse 16 talks about a choice that we have to make. Verse 16 says this, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? And then he talks about the choice that we have to make. You can choose to be a slave either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So it makes it really pretty clear. There's a choice. There's not really like this gray area somewhere in between. You can either continue to be a slave of sin, which will lead to death, or you can choose to to, to obey, which leads to righteousness. That's what he talks about. But we might say, as we would have last week, okay, that's hard though, Paul. (laughs) Like, I get it, I have a choice to make, but naturally there's a lot in me that still wants to make the choice to obey sin. I still have, even though I've come to faith in Christ, I still have sinful desires, and it really is quite tempting to me quite often to just give in and to sin. So how exactly am I supposed to make this choice? To obey God rather than to disobey and sin. How am I supposed to do that? Well, verses 16 or 17 and 18 make that pretty clear. Verses 17 and 18 say this, but thanks be to God. Right? Isn't that good? Anytime you see that, like, but God or but thanks be to God kind of thing, that's really good news. She's like, wait, Paul, this is going to be really hard because I kind of want to sin still. Right? And he's saying, well, don't do it. Okay, but how? then he says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin. It's like, remember, that's where you used to be. It was your master. You did what you did because sin was your master. You who were once slaves to sin have become, okay, so there's something that's changed in who we are. We used to be slaves of sin, and now he's saying to the church, you have become. Something's happened. Your identity has changed. You have become now obedient from the heart. You didn't just clean up your act on the outside. You have become different people who are now obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin. You have become slaves of righteousness. Right. So the idea that that we're somehow like 
independent and we're like in charge of in charge of what um, what we choose to do like that what we choose to do in when we're enslaved to sin what we choose to do is sin so it seems like we're free to do whatever but we're really not we're slaves to sin and we're going to in the end always obey sin which leads to death right and so what we desperately need is we need to be set free from that slavery to sin. And now he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who trust in Jesus. And he's saying, that's happened for you. You've been set free. You used to be a slave to sin. And now you've been set free from it. Now you're a slave to righteousness instead. Uh, and so I, I like thinking about that idea, about the idea that, oh, that, that makes sense. Like a lot of times, somebody who... Um, does not trust in Christ, feels like they're free to do whatever they want. And they don't want to put their faith in Christ because they're like, well, that just comes with religion and a whole bunch of rules, and I don't want that. I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. Where in reality, what Paul is communicating here is actually, it's like we're trapped when we're slaves of sin, and when we're set free, now we have freedom that we didn't have before. Freedom to obey God that didn't really exist for us before. So we're more free after trusting in Christ than we are before trusting in Christ. I was tempted, because it's been a while since I've shared some rap lyrics with you, um, and I was tempted, but then I was looking at the song, I was like, I want to do the whole song, and nobody wants to hear that. Uh, and so, so uh, I'd encourage you, if you maybe sort of think you might like rap, uh, go listen to the song this week called I'm Not a Robot uh, by Trip Lee, which I think is really helpful. Go check it out. Okay, let me look at this quote. Uh, this quote, as I was reading through it, I think really summarizes things really well. It might be too small for you to read up on the screen. But I love how he recognizes that we who have been set free from sin doesn't mean that it's not going to be a fight anymore. Here's what uh, Kevin DeYoung writes. The Bible is realistic about holiness. Don't think that all this glorious talk about dying to sin and living to God means there is no struggle anymore or that sin will never show up in the believer's life. The Christian life still entails obedience. It still involves a fight, but it's a fight that we will win. You have the Spirit of Christ in your corner, rubbing your shoulders, holding the bucket, putting His arm around you, and saying before the next round with sin, you're going to knock Him out, kid. Sin may get in some good jabs. It may clean your clock once in a while. It may bring you to your knees, but if you are in Christ, it will never knock you out. You are no longer a slave but free. Sin has no dominion over you. It can't, it won't. A new king sits on the throne. You serve a different master and you salute a different Lord. We need to recognize that we can now, we're freed up to make that choice to move away from sin and towards obedience because we have been set free from our slavery to sin. And it's going to be a fight and a fight that we ought to be engaged in. More on that in the coming weeks. I want to think about a little application of this, though. That we are set free from our natural inclination towards sin when we trust in Christ. I want to talk specifically to kids, okay? Um, because uh, I used to be a kid, and there's still some tendencies that I have are kind of like kids have, okay? And, and, and I have kids, and so I see these kinds of things. One thing that if you've been around children or if you are a child, w would you kids go ahead and admit with me that sometimes you just really want to be selfish? 
Would you say that sometimes you're pretty selfish? Can you admit that? Right? And adults, you can listen in on this because it's not just kids, right? Um, that a lot of times we're pretty selfish. There's stuff that makes us really mad. Like if somebody, like if we've been working on something, playing with something, somebody comes and messes that up, you get pretty mad at them, don't you? Because you think that whatever it was that you were doing is more important than the person who came and messed it up. So we get angry, right? Like there's a lot of ways in which we show that we're selfish. Somebody else has something and we really want it, and so we get mad about that. We're selfish, and it shows up all the time that what we want to do is we just want to be selfish. And I'm saying, like, again, it's not just for kids. Adults deal with this, too. We just want what we want. That's a natural, sinful inclination. It's hard for us to obey a command like we see in Philippians 2.4 that says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. A lot of times, I just don't really care about other people. I just want what's right for me, what's good for me. But then we can remember, I know there's a lot of kids in here who have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, right? And if you're a child who's trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you've been set free from sin. Like, you might want to be selfish. Like, when somebody does something to you or says something to you, you, you kind of like, you know, like, what you want to say back to them, Right? But it's good to remember, if you trust in Jesus, like, hey, sin is not my master anymore. I don't have to respond like that. I want to respond like that right now, but I don't have to respond like that anymore. And you can ask God right there in that moment. You can just stop for a second and be like, God, could you please help me because I really want to be selfish right now. And you can ask God for help, and I think he'll help you with that because you're not a slave to sin anymore. You don't have to be selfish anymore. I think that's helpful. It's helpful for me to think about. All right, so big point from the the first point is this. We don't keep living a life filled with sin because God has set us free from our slavery to sin. Are we supposed to keep sinning? Because, well, no, we've been set free from it, so why would we keep living in it, right? That's, That's what we see in those first verses. Next point is this, the last set of verses. Our new slavery leads to sanctification and eternal life. Again, he's going to start out with a choice to make. Just like he did in verse 16 and verse 19, there's going to be a choice that we have to make. Here's what it is. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Okay, that's what we used to do. This is what we used to do. We used to just sin because that's just what we did. So now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Basically, just laying in front of them, again, there's a choice to make. You want to just keep sinning like you always used to do, or do you want to do something different now? Right? So a choice to make that's laid out again. Why is it that we can do that? Well, again, it's because we are set free. We're going to get to that here in just a second. Sanctification, I, I figured I should quick define this word, though. Sanctification is a big word we don't use a lot. If you wanted to use a word that we do use more, we use the word holy, and and actually come from the same root word. Sanctification could be like if, if we made up a word, it would be holification. Okay, it's like making something more holy, taking something that that is not very holy or only has a little bit of holiness, and making it more holy. Okay, so that's what sanctification means. But 
How is it that we can be sanctified? How can we be sanctified? Well, a reminder of why we can do it comes in verses 20 through 22. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. He's again reminding them, here's who you used to be. You used to do a lot of stuff that if you were to look back now, maybe if you're a parent, you don't even want to tell your kids some of the stuff that you used to. You don't, there's a lot of stuff that we like to hide from other people. There's stuff, there's sin in our life, maybe even sin right now that you've been engaged in in the last week that you're ashamed of. And you don't want to hide that. You, you want to hide that. You don't want to share that with somebody else, right? The fruit which you were getting at those things of which you are now ashamed, recognizing that the end of those things is death. Verse 22 but now, there it is again, but now, that's where you used to be. You used to be just living in sin and ashamed of it, but now, that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We're on a different path now. We used to be on a path that just sin led to more sin. We hide our sin and, and just keep sinning. We say, well, now you're on a different path. You've been set free from that, and now you're over here on the road to eternal life, which passes through sanctification. You're being made more holy as you are on your way to eternal life. And so um, I wanted to think about this. I said that we were going to spend more time this time thinking about application because here's our tendency, at least it's my tendency. Maybe you're not like me. But my tendency is, when I just read about sin, I can think of it very theoretically. Like, oh yeah, sin, it's missing the mark. It's not being or doing what God requires. I get that. I, I know what sin is. And then I think of all the ways that we see sin all around the world. And I think of all the ways that I see sin in other people. And if you're like me, you often fail to recognize how much control you're still giving to sin in your life. That, that here Paul is writing, remember, he's writing to Christians, and his challenge to them, he keeps bringing them back. You have a choice to make. Are you going to continue in this pattern of sin, or are you going to live in the new way that's been made for you in Christ? And I always think, like, this is a good message for the church. You guys need to hear this, because I'm sure there's a lot. But then I just need to recognize over and over again, and did this week, Okay, I need to think about this for me. In what ways am I living in a pattern of sin and failing to live in the new life that God has given me in Christ? And there's a lot of sins, because like, a lot of times when we think about sin, we think of these big, bad, ugly things, which they all of them are. But some sins are more respectable than others, aren't they? Like some sins, like, the, like we, we can talk about them or even the way that we think about them, like, well, that's not that bad. We compare our sin to other people's sin. And theirs is typically always worse than ours is. And ours, like, we can explain why we sin in the way we sin, right? Like, we can always justify our own sin and kind of talk ourselves out of it. But one type of sin that I think is very, very common that many of us struggle with, and this, I'm, this is coming out of me, okay? It's coming out of me today, and maybe you can resonate with part of this. And that is the sin of idolatry. Right at, the, right at the top of the Ten Commandments, we're told that we should have no idols and we should have no other gods before our God. 
But I think idolatry is way more common than we think. I know it is for me. One, uh, Tim Keller's definition of idolatry I think is helpful. He says it's anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Another way to say it was is when a good thing becomes a God thing. Typically the things that we idolize are not in and of themselves evil things. But they are good things that God has given to us for our enjoyment that we end up turning into bigger things than they ought to be. They absorb our heart and imagination more than God. We seek to go to those things to give us that which only God can give us. And so I'm going to share one that I struggle with that I think often we can kind of laugh off or just not even talk about. Because it's like, well, of all the things, that one doesn't seem that bad. And I've been convicted more and more this week of how this is idolatry just like any other kind of idolatry. And that is this. Food idolatry. You're like, really? Food idolatry? What's that all about? Well, here's what it's all about. Um, uh, Just so you know, food idolatry is a heart problem, not a weight problem, okay? It's, It's the idea that we are driven to think way more about food than we ought to think about food. Let food drive and guide our lives way more than food ought to drive and guide our lives. Let me explain that a little bit more. Um, I could tell you lots of stories of how that looks in my life. Um, and, and you were just like, again, saying, this is not a weight problem. I don't really have a weight problem. But food idolatry is not about a weight problem. There's people who maybe are overweight, uh, who have great self-control, and there's people who are skinny like me who don't have very much self-control. And that's the reality. When it comes to eating and drinking, I don't have very much self-control. And I give those things way too much sway over me in my life. That's one of the reasons that I don't drink alcohol, um, because I I, I have a hard time with self-control. These are good gifts. Food is a good gift. Amen? Food is a good gift from God. We need it to survive. We're even even told in Scripture that it is a way in which we can serve and love other people by providing food for them. Right? That that one of the ways that we celebrate good things is that we have a feast. Right? So, So food in and of itself is not at all evil. But I'm recognizing in my own heart that sometimes the way in which I relate to food is probably more how I should relate to God and not food. So, uh, a lot of different things that could be um, showing food idolatry for you. So I want to look at some application of this. Um, There are, I think, probably um, some signs that we could add. Now, these signs, just so you know, these signs that I'm going to share, maybe food is not a problem for you. Maybe you have great self-control when it comes to food. Um, that'd be great. Cool. I would guess that you probably struggle with some other form of idolatry. For many people, it's sports, right? Like you think of how much time and energy, how your, your free time is spent engaging in watching somebody else play something, engaging in, in, in doing something yourself to prepare for it, like what, whatever it is, that, that there's all sorts of kinds of idolatry, okay? Things that in and of themselves are not evil, seem really good, but can become things that take over life. Okay, so any of these questions or signs, I think, um, would be helpful in diagnosing your own idolatry. By the way, this week in your life groups, there's going to be some stuff that you're going to do to kind of diagnose together. 
all right? Here's one question. Do you spend a lot of money on it? It's a good question to ask. Do you spend a lot of money on it? Do you turn to it expecting comfort and happiness on a rough day? Right? That, that's food and, and, and drink for me. Um, I, I've, I've even had to, like, I, in my, my life group, I've shared this with my life group before, and they laugh at me. Like, they, they, they make fun of me. Like, oh, are you having your weekend pop? Because I, I, like, I would drink pop all the time because it tastes really good. But I know that's not good for me. And so to try and have self-control, I've kind of set up this, like, I'm going to do that on the weekend. Uh, and so our life group meets on Friday night. So I'll sometimes have, and they're like, oh, look at Jeremy having his weekend pop. Uh, gonna just make, but, like, there are times when because, like, man, we can tell ourselves we deserve stuff, right? Like, man, I just had a really rough day. Give me some ice cream. Like, that's going to make it better. Right, like, like I need to, I need to drown myself in lots of caffeine and sugar uh, because that's going to make me. I like, I deserve this. I'm going to stop by uh, this restaurant and pick this up because I deserve it because I've had a rough day. That's a sign of potential idolatry. That the way in which I deal with hard stuff is that I run to not God but food. Right. That's one opportunity. Do you consume it in excess to celebrate? A good day. Do you turn it into an un, do you turn into an unpleasant person when you don't get it? Like we thought there might have been a disaster this morning. Jeff is gone. Jeff is in Washington, and Jeff gets our donuts. People are like, we gotta get donuts. What's gonna happen if people don't have their donuts? You know, like um, like so somebody's gotta go and get some donuts because we need to. Uh, food can become something that you can be a pretty unpleasant person when you don't get it. Do your thoughts often turn through it throughout the day? We make our menu up for the week in our house so that we can uh, plan what we're eating. I very rarely fail to know what the next meal on the menu is, even when I'm not at home. I'm thinking about it a lot. We, we eat really good food in our house, and I'm thankful for that, but I think about it a lot. And again, like I said, uh, oh, do you turn to it secretly? You got a secret stash somewhere? Like, do you eat things that you don't tell anybody else about? That's a pretty good sign that maybe you have some sort of problem. Right? Um, and do you continue to convince yourself that you deserve it? All right. Questions to ask. Again, in your life group, you'll go through some of that stuff. Um, my love for food goes beyond simply enjoying it and sometimes gets elevated to a place where it becomes an idol. That's something I know that I need to deal with. Good news is I've been set free from that. I don't have to. And I've been given the Holy Spirit who dwells inside me. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? self-control, right? And so I don't have to any longer be a slave to that. I've been set free from it. I was reading one person's testimony about this. This is really encouraging to me. Here's what one person said. Food has regularly played the role of Savior in my life. In hard times, no matter what I have going on, stress, pain, anger, disappointment, etc., food has always promised to offer me a little comfort. In good times, food becomes the icing on the cake, literally, that culminates my enjoyment of life. So in both the hard and good times, I have consistently turned to food for comfort and joy. And maybe you can say, amen, that sounds like me. I'm going to share a little bit more of his testimony here in just a little bit. But I need to ask you, do you continually give in to your desire to eat or drink something? Do you ever exhibit any form of self-control? If you don't, that might be a point at which you start to recognize that might, this might have more control over me than it ought, than it ought to. Maybe you've got an addiction, 
Uh, and again, this, this stuff we laugh about. Right? Like a uh, coffee addiction, if you're addicted to caffeine, pop addiction, chocolate addiction, bread addiction, whatever kind of addiction it is that you have. And, and, and I think it's good to enjoy God's gifts, but sometimes we've recognized maybe in your life that you've become dependent on something. I think that's a significant issue that we probably ought not to overlook because we don't want to give ultimate control to anything in our life other than God. We feed our addiction by talking about it, watching shows about it. they got whole TV networks about food if you really like food, um, buying it, preparing it, all of that stuff. We might be ashamed, and our shame can cause us to keep our sin hidden. Maybe it is an eating problem. Maybe it's some other kind of addiction, something else that, that we can, in our shame, just say, like, man, I'm just too ashamed to share this with anybody. As somebody has said, a lot of people have said this, the only sin that continues to have power over us is unconfessed sin. If we're not willing to confess it to other people and to say, listen, I've got a problem here, it's going to be hard for us to start dealing with it. We're just going to keep hiding out. So I'd encourage you, as you're in your life groups this week, I know we're just getting started getting to know each other. I encourage you to share a bit about what might be idols in your life. So if you're like me, you struggle with idolatry of some sort, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's our hope when it comes to food idolatry or any other kind of idolatry? We have a choice to make, just like Paul says in Romans 6. You've got a choice to make. You're going to keep being a slave to that? You're going to live in a new way? But I think we also need to remember what comes after those choices both of those times as a reminder of, but here's who you are. And so I'm, I told you I'd share a little more of that guy's testimony. And that guy's testimony points to the hope that we have in the gospel. And then we're going to look at the last verse. Here's what that guy says. But this time, I have greater hope that I am on the road toward a proper and healthy love of food. Not because I have some power or strength in myself, but because Jesus Christ died and rose again to set me free from the power of sin. In the gospel, Jesus has given me a greater comfort and a deeper satisfaction than any food ever could. Because Christ rose from the dead, he has given me new life and the promise of a future banquet in his kingdom. He has offered me himself, the true bread of life. He's invited me to drink of his living water so that I'll never thirst again. There are, these are the deep resources of the gospel that I consistently have to turn to in my battle with the love of food. And I'm glad to say that I'm seeing change in my heart and in my habits. You may not be struggling with the love of food. But I am confident that you are struggling with some disordered love, misplaced trust, or false hope. Perhaps this struggle has been going on for years. Maybe you've tried over and over again to deal with it, seeing temporary results only to see it roar back to full strength once again. But there is hope. Jesus did not rise from the grave to leave us in our sin. We may try and fail again, but slowly he is at work to bring us into the freedom of the new life of his kingdom. Very hopeful for me. The hope is in the gospel. And, and, I, and we cannot neglect the final verse of this chapter. Let's go ahead and look at it. Romans 6.23. Those of you kids that are in Awana, you've memorized this more than one time, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love looking out there and seeing a bunch of kids' lips moving because they're doing it with me. That's awesome. Right? If you're looking for a place that summarizes the gospel, this would be one of the places that we would turn to. Again, there's, there's two ways. That's what Paul's been pointing out here. There is the way of sin. But just so we know, 
the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so the two ways really point out, is the difference is, who's our Lord? Right? Is sin going to be my Lord? Is sin going to be my master? That's the way I come into the world, with sin as my master. And I could continue in that, and that's going to lead to death. Or, do I want to instead trust Jesus as my Lord? Submit myself to Jesus as my Lord. Saying, no, I have a better master than that. I'm not a slave to that anymore. I trust in Jesus. He has died and he has risen from the dead so that I no longer have to be a slave to sin, but I can become his slave. He can become my master. That's a much better way to live. And so one obvious question I think to ask you this morning would be, is that a gift that you received? Are you still over here living in sin? It feels like freedom sometimes because you can do whatever you want to do. But really, it's being enslaved to sin. Is that where you're living? Or have you made the turn? Have you heard the good news of what Christ has done? Dying on the cross to pay for your sins. That you can be made right with God. And that you can be set free from sin to live for Him. If that's something that, that has happened in your life, if that transition has taken place praise God, then you have lots of reason to praise God and seek to live in this new type of life that He's given to us. If that's not where you've been yet, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Come and talk to me and and have a conversation with me about, well, here's where I've been, and here's where I've been taken. Here's where I want to be taken, right? So I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. There is new life, and it's a free gift. It comes from God. And that gift is eternal life, and it only comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to close in a little bit by singing together. Um, I want us to just recognize that what God has has freed us up from is that he's set us free from living. let Let me say it this way. We will not live a life free from sin, right? No, sorry, the other way around. We will not live a life free of sin, but we can live a life that is increasingly free from sin, right? That, 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 that our captivity to sin has been broken. We are no, my chains are gone. I've been set free, like we just sang, right? And it's all by God's amazing grace. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. I've been set free. I can, I'm not going to live on this earth a life free of sin but I can live a life set free from the power of sin. Its power has been broken. And so we get the the great opportunity to live in that way. This only happens for those of us who have been fundamentally changed from the inside. So we're going to close by singing a song that that I I quoted, I think, in full in a sermon a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, we're going to sing this in a couple weeks. It's a song that I love because it's a song that really is, can be a personal testimony of anybody who trusts in Jesus. It talks about, here's where I once was, and where we once were, and the path that we were on, it's darker than we usually like to think about. Where we were headed is darker than we usually like to think about. But the good news is, because of what Christ has done, we have a new kind of life that we're living. 
And so that's something worth singing about. If you were here and now you're here, if you were dead and now you're alive, if you were separated from God and now you are friends of God, if you've been moved from death to life, there, there's probably the least that we could do is sing a song about it, right? And hopefully it motivates much, much more than that from us. That's what motivates us toward obedience. Not, I've got to be under the law so that I can keep God's favor, but God has been so gracious to me that my desire is to continue to live in a way that pleases Him. I want to live a life of obedience that leads to life, not a life of sin that leads to death. And He's freed us up to do that in Christ. And so, we're going to sing about that. Worship team can come up while I pray. Father, uh, help us with that. I don't, I don't know how clearly it was that I presented this. I don't know how, how applicable the application of it was. But I do trust that your spirit is able to come and do work in the hearts of people. That, that there might be people sitting out here this morning that have yet to uh, be set free from sin. They're still living enslaved to it because they don't yet trust in Jesus. I pray that, that your spirit would be at work and then that we'd have a conversation about that. That they would talk with you about that uh, yet today. And for all of us who have, who have done that, I thank you for the power that we have uh, over sin. Not because we're really stubborn and really good at it, but because we have your Holy Spirit living in us. Because we've been set free from slavery to sin and we can now live a new kind of life. And so God, I pray that you would help us to do that. And I pray that most of all you would help us to delight in and rejoice in Christ, who is the one who has set us free. Help us to do that as we sing this song, but after that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.